being a school principal might just be the most interrupted job on the planet. Every celebration, classroom party, and great lesson in the school, you're invited. Every difficult conversation with a parent whose child is not behaving or with a teacher who's chronically late to work, you're there too. And every emergency in the building with 500, 1,000, 2,000 people in it, it's your emergency. And on top of all that, you are responsible every day for the safety of the world's most precious asset, our children. How do they do it? We're here to find out here in the principal's office. Welcome, one and all, to the Principal's Office Podcast. This is Jeff Gorski. And before we start, I just want to take a moment to thank two of our partners in building education choice across North Carolina. One is the NC Public Charter School Accelerator, who helps to support uh, many schools, but especially schools that are in rural and underserved areas across North Carolina. You can find their information at at ncchartereraccelerator.org, and also Acadia Northstar, which is a full-service financial accounting and student information management firm uh, here in North Carolina. You can find their information at acadianorthstar.com. So uh, this this month, we would like to, to bring you something a little bit different. It's a throwback uh, to our old days before the podcast of Thinking Partner Thursday, uh, which was a live phone call series, but a similar format. And, and we had an interview back then with a, a great school leader, Mark Bailey, of Maureen Joy Charter School. And he, at the time, was in his first few months as a school leader. I thought it would be applicable to all of us right now to listen to these ideas, because what Mark really talks about in here is about, is about the challenge of building and rebuilding school culture. And I think that that's something that schools in their first year and in their 20th year all somewhat have to experience. Some of us experience it at the beginning of the year, some of us in the middle, and some at the end. But it's a cycle that that each one of our schools is in the process of of navigating uh, regardless of our life cycle. So I want to share this conversation with Mark Bailey with you. I hope you enjoy it, Um, and I want to wish you all a happy holiday season. Thanks for listening. Mark, thank you for making time for us today and joining us on the phone. Absolutely. I want to start, uh, Mark, because charter schools are such mission-based organizations. Can you paraphrase the school's mission uh, and tell us what it, what it means to you? Sure. Um, mission of Morning Joy Charter School is to prepare our scholars for high school, college, and the world beyond. Um, so that's been something we've tried to deconstruct uh, since I've been here, and I know that work started well before I got here. You know, what that looks like for high school, college, obviously there's the academic preparation component and what that means that, that, that students are ready to be successful when they step out um, into that next, that next world. But also there are things beyond the academic component that help you be successful to be um, in high school and college, world beyond those, those character traits that you build up, those uh, competencies that you build up, the ability to, to work with others, the ability to, to self-monitor, the ability to, to push yourself, uh, to forgive yourself when you're not, not, uh, not always sitting on all cylinders and, and, and to recover from frustration. So uh, I think those, those parts are, are probably not as clearly articulated as, uh, as the academic parts, but I do think they're, they're in our minds for other areas where we need to help develop our, our scholars to be successful as they, when, when they get beyond us. 
Well, we all know the academics are the reason that we're here to build the knowledge of our students. However, over the last few weeks, what we've talked about on, on most of our calls is school culture, mm -hmm. and everything you just said speaks to that, the, the school's culture, what it means to be a member of this community. Um, and so, if you would, what does someone think or feel as soon as they walk into this school that might be different from another place? Yeah, I mean, I think the disparity between what they feel here and what they feel at other places is harder for me to, to articulate uh, with any degree of, you know, legitimacy. But I, I, I can say what I hope people feel when they walk in, sure. and, and I'm, I think other people might hope the same thing for their, for their place, is I hope they're walking into a place where it, it seems like kids feel known and they feel seen and they feel heard. Um, so it, it's, a, it's a place where we are work with each, each and every individual child, and, and I think we, we differentiate that attention um, for academics, obviously, but we also try to make sure that we're differentiating our attention and our relationships to meet the needs of the kids that we're working with. I can tell you that we use this school as a, as a story when we meet new principals a lot of times about some of the first things that you see when you come here. One, one thing Tom mentioned to someone today is that this school used to have a sign out front that said that students are not allowed to be checked out between a certain time and the end of the day mm -hmm. uh, to show the value of academics to this organization. Yeah. I think that's one thing that, that, <laughs> that speaks to the, the fact that you do, through your culture, hold paramount the fact that academics are the biggest piece of this puzzle. Yeah, I, I think some of that just goes back to to educating and informing our parent population the same way we do with, with our kids. I understand the reason for that as well. You know, we don't want people to think that we're just being unnecessarily difficult. But we can understand that the reason behind some of those policies is because we are trying to value instructional time. We want them to value instructional time uh, that we appreciate when they're able to make arrangements um, that don't require kids to miss time from school because we know how important that is. So I'm glad you brought up building that bridge to the parents. Uh, one of my questions I have for you, especially given your, uh, you know, the fact that you're in your first few months here, we just talked about your first kind of 100 days in office, um, that people trust this building and they trust a lot of the staff and you're new. Mm -hmm. What are some of the ways that you've gone about trying to build trust with the parent and family body that, that, that loves this school? Well, I think the short answer is I don't think there's a shortcut to it. I, I think it's it's conversations that you have, whether they're initiated by the parent, they're initiated by me, or they're just sort of informal when we come across each other at a school event or in some other capacity where we get to know each other better. They get to know what I'm about. We get to talk to each other, and um, they know that I'm, I'm getting a chance to get to know their kid. Um, so I think that's part of it. I, I think the other part is what parents want to see is that you're responsive. And so if they're calling or coming by, they want to see that you're available. So I make sure that I'm available. If they have a concern, you know, even if it's one that you're not necessarily able to immediately resolve, that they know that you've heard it, that you, that you know it's important, that you want to take those, consider, you know, take those thoughts or concerns into consideration when you're making decisions so they do feel like they're heard. Um, I think the easiest way to lose trust is if they feel like, they reach out because they need something or have a question and you're just not there. Or you say you're going to do something and you don't do it. Because then I think you start to, they start to question how much 
this is uh yeah that you're you're really who you say you are yeah the <laughs> the parent bridge that we build as school leaders is so important, especially in charter schools, because of that fact that this is a place people choose to bring their kids. They don't have to, and in fact, it's a lot harder sometimes to bring your child to a charter school than it is to a traditional public school. Um, I know you offer busing here, but a lot of schools, uh, charter schools still do not. Um, having a busing system, the fact that you are going to be responsible for getting the kids here must be uh, part of this equation that works. Can you speak to what the value is, you feel, to having a busing system in a charter school like this? Absolutely. I mean, I, I, um, I almost can't imagine proceeding without it. It's just in terms of opening up opportunity and in terms of truly being an option for parents um, and, and for families who just have a different set of circumstances. You know, we have 615 kids from, you know, 400, 400 plus families who have 400 individual circumstances that we have to take into account. The, the fact that we will not only offer transportation, but make sure that it's at a time uh, and in a location that, that works for families within reason, that we, uh, that we take accountability for making sure their child gets home safely. Um, I think that that initial concern, that initial need that parents have when they send their, their child out of their house is to know that they're safe and to know where they are. Uh, and I think the ability to, for us to partner with that in transportation is, is big for families. They feel, they feel good about that. It just opens up, it also just opens up the ability for so many more kids to, to attend our school that otherwise could not. And, you know, Mark, somebody, uh, a school leader at another school told me this morning something I had not thought of until today, which is that having busing as an option for your charter school also reduces the amount of attrition because so many kids leave their charter school based on the fact that they move, you know, just a little bit further away or just a little bit across town. Yeah. And then that extra 15 minutes in the morning and 15 minutes at night makes it, you know, makes it not an option anymore. So I think that's a huge, huge part of the program. Yeah. And if we look at it, I mean, it's not just transportation. It's before school starting at 6.30 in the morning and it's after school going until 6 p.m. in the evening. You know, regardless of your schedule, regardless of your personal circumstance, um, you know that there is opportunity for your child to be here and to be cared for here and to be safe and to be under supervision, you know, for 11 and a half hours a day, which is, you know, that means something, I think. Absolutely agree. So let's switch gears now. So you've got your families engaged and involved and you're building trust with them. Now you're coming into learning about your teaching staff. And one of the things that impressed me about you is that even when we met you and it was the first month of school, I felt like you knew about all of the teachers that we, that we saw. You knew their background. You knew what state they came from. It felt like you knew uh, what their grandma's middle name was. Um, what did you do? Because you weren't starting a school, and, and a lot of people on the line are starting schools. Uh, but you were starting from scratch. What, how did you go about building that trust up with your school staff? And what I had to do is 58 employees here scheduled 58 individual conversations that had the ability to be as long as they needed to be to learn someone's story, um, to get to know where they came from, what they felt they're good at, what, they, uh, what they'd like to work on, um, you know, what their background is, and, um, and, and a little bit about their family. I always think about 
the, the folks who've meant the most to me, either in a supervisor capacity or just another capacity, has been have been people who, you know, I think people can click can check off the thoughtful box by saying, hey, how's how's everything at home or how's everything with you? And like, yeah, I was thoughtful. I checked in with them personally. Um, but the people, you know, my wife my wife's name is Andrea, and uh, the people who just like when they when they would see my boss who would see me and say, how's Andrea doing? Like, I, I just know that meant so much more to me. Than like how's your family or how you know how are things at home or how are things with you? That's someone who had taken the time to get to know, you know, the name of my life. That person is like really important to me, and I felt like they were actually checking in because they cared. They their questions seemed to be informed by the content of previous conversations. You know, I know you said your parents had been thinking about doing this. You know, what did they decide? Like that just made me feel valued, and so I wanted to do the same thing. And so what I what I didn't want to do was just collect this. You know, say like amount of information on people, and then just use it to make them feel tracked or known in a in a creepy way. I just want them to feel known in that I, I think it's worth getting a chance to to know who they are as people. Um, I think the absolute most important job I have is to identify, hire, develop, and retain great teachers. And every minute that I put towards building relationships with teachers, with helping them. Um, be successful and feel successful in a job that they also consider sustainable is probably the most important time I can spend every day. So there's 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 not really to me a way to overvalue the time that you need to take for those conversations. So there's one more thing that I feel like I remember us talking about that you did that really made an impact on me. And it was something that you went over or sent out to your staff that said, you know, this is how I handle situations. Mm. Do you remember the document I'm talking about? Or the meeting I'm talking about? You, it, it was like my guiding principle. Your guiding principle. Sure. I, yeah. I love this idea for a, for a new principal with a new staff. Uh, yeah, that's just so. Those are specific, um, just collection of thoughts and 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 basically decision making guidance that I've picked up just through my experience, and this is year 15 for me, so I've had 14 years of, of trial and error and, and, and figuring things out. And what I wanted people to know was when I make decisions, you know, the intention is always to make the best decision, which is true for everyone's always trying to make the best decision they can. Um, but if anything ever seems unclear or if they ever wondered what I was valuing or what I was prioritizing, I wanted them to have a sense of, of just sort of the, those principles that guide me in general, and hopefully that would help illuminate the rationale behind my decisions. Um, so if you think of something like, and, and this is something that I got from one of my mentors, this idea that you never take anything away from a kid that you can't give back. Um, you know, so if a kid has a, has a bad morning and they stay inside for recess, not a problem. There's recess tomorrow, right? We'll, we'll have recess tomorrow. That's okay. That's okay if they don't have recess today. Um, coming from high school, you know, if you take a if you take away the ability of a kid to walk across the stage, I'm not saying there's ever a situation where that would need to be part of the conversation. But you need to consider the fact that you're taking away something from a kid that you can you can't get back. That's an experience you can't get back. So if I, I wouldn't want teachers to feel frustrated or unsupported or like we were somehow lowering expectations, if I ever made a decision. Um, where a child was allowed to do something or have something or be involved in something that maybe they disagreed with. And I want them to understand the reason is not that, you know, you're not getting back up and it's not that um, I don't think you have all the best points in the entire world. It's that when push comes to shove and I think that I'm 
in a situation where I'm taking away something from a kid that I can't realistically give back, I have to step back and look at that and see if, if that's really something I'm comfortable doing. So that's just like, that's one example where I just, I wouldn't want people to interpret it the wrong way, so I want them to know where I'm coming from before we get to that point and not just trying to explain it away when they are frustrated. I think that's such a fantastic idea to, to lay that out there for people to see before you start making decisions. This is how I make decisions. And while it doesn't apply to every decision I'm going to make, uh, you're going to know where I'm coming from. Uh, now, you mentioned that one of your biggest priorities is recruiting, retaining, and, um, and developing great teachers. So when you came in and you had a very short amount of time to fill a couple of spots, mm -hmm. Uh, how did you kind of evaluate and recruit people to fit into this puzzle when it was new for you, knowing that, that those people have a big impact on, on the school? Yeah, I, I wouldn't say that I've had an opportunity to go through what, what will hopefully be a, a normal recruiting uh, and, and you know, teacher candidate pipeline process yet. When I came in, there was, there was one vacancy. Uh, this was, this was mid-June. There were no candidates for that vacancy yet, and then within a month we had four vacancies. I don't think that was because of me. I think there were some different circumstances that caused three people who were going to work here to make other decisions. And so I was in, I was in a situation where we were hiring teachers in late July, which if you've ever been hiring teachers, late July is probably not the ideal time to be going through that process. Um, I will say, like, I, I do feel like I try to look for sort of not only a quality person, but what is needed on the staff to provide just some different perspectives, some different energy, some different um, different set of skills. And one thing I noticed when I came in is that our staff was extraordinarily young for the most part, uh, and the years of experience were also pretty low. And so I did certainly gravitate towards a few individuals who were more experienced ended up bringing in, uh, for those four vacancies, one brand new teacher, uh, an eight-year, 12-year, and a 16-year veteran. And I, I was more excited about that as a factor because they were joining a staff that was so relatively inexperienced. Um, I've, I've been on the other side as well. I've, I've worked on staffs that, you know, are full of 20, 25, 30-year veterans who are amazing, and I'm so thankful to have them, but it's also helpful to bring in some folks who maybe have a, a different perspective from someone who started this work more recently. So that was that was something I had in mind, but I, it would be overselling it to say that I had the ability to really develop a pipeline. Well, I like the fact that you identified the biggest area, like the the gap in the in the staff uh, puzzle, you know, the missing piece. Yeah. I think that's important to look at your your team as a whole. And one thing that we like to do with people is look at personality styles and how people all fit. And it seems like sometimes we find teams that are developed without looking at that. And then when we discover, you know, kind of break it down, we find out that everybody has the same mindset <laughs> instead of uh, a team mindset that helps them build yeah. and, and complete your whole, your whole staff or your whole team. Um, one of my favorite questions to ask people is, what is your favorite interview question? Do you have one that you look forward to asking every time you sit down with a teacher? Ah, yeah, yeah, I usually ask them what their kids would say about them. I'm just always curious, like, not only what their what the kids they've taught might actually say, but also just their interpretation of what they think that would be, you know, like where that goes. If it's like, you know, that Mr. So-and-so really challenges me, or Miss So-and-so is nice, or, 
you know, Miss So-and-so doesn't play. Like, you, you, you hear, like, these different takes, and I feel like sometimes, I mean, people are, are on an interview, right? So they're trying to present their best selves. Like, you're meeting the representative. You're not really meeting them. Um, and it also lets you know what people value because they're presenting something that they think you want to hear, largely, maybe. Uh, maybe that's just, maybe that's unfair. Um, it's, it's just interesting for me always to hear where they go with that question. I love it. We heard one recently uh, that was, uh, okay, imagine after this, the next two people I have coming into my office are your biggest fan and your biggest enemy. What are they going to tell me? What is the one going to tell me that you should have the chat for? And what is the other one going to tell me you shouldn't? And it does that same thing. It, it exposes you to what they find that people think of them or, or what they feel like other people think are the most important pieces of their personality, which is probably what they also think is the most important piece of their personality also. Because, I mean, I think we all try to be self-aware, but it's hard um, to have a perspective outside of yourself. And it's just, it's, it's, yeah, those questions are, are good. Where I, I stay away from the, um, like, what's your philosophy of education questions, and largely just because I struggle with those, I, I, I can't. I have trouble articulating that in a way where it doesn't become rambling or it doesn't become just sort of a very small part of something I believe that could never really represent all the things that I care about or believe or think are true. Um, and so that's probably just a reflection I'm projecting there, that I struggle with those questions, so I don't let anyone else struggle with them with me. Well, speaking of a pipeline and, and the value of developing teachers, how do you know when a teacher is ready or, or they, how have you evaluated a teacher to a point where you think that they're prepared to jump on board with your leadership team? Hmm. I, I think some of that depends upon. So if, it's, if we're thinking about leadership team in terms of a person who is now part of giving input as a classroom teacher, then I, I think you're assessing like the quality, you know, sort of the, the quality of some of those conversations you're having. You know, is this someone who tends to bring really um, critical, thoughtful things to the table as well as solutions? And, you know, that's the kind of person I want to be part of those conversations. I, I certainly don't want just a, a, a room full of people who just nod along and say that sounds like a great idea because I'm terrified of never having anybody else push back against things that I think are true because I just I need that other perspective. So I'm not looking for that. Um, I'm not looking for someone who um, only brings problems to the table and, and doesn't seem focused on solutions because that leadership team is going to be one that's focused on, on coming up with solutions to the challenges that we face. Um, now, if it, if it involves the person leaving the classroom to do it in a different role, because sometimes you know someone's role sort of dictates that they're on the leadership team as opposed to just like who that person is, you know, then it becomes a matter of like making sure that's actually the role that person wants. And then you have that challenge of, you know, amazing classroom teachers who want an opportunity to develop and, and, and have other opportunities but don't want to stop being teachers. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where school leaders have to start to get more creative. But it's not an either-or scenario. It's not either you stay in the classroom and you feel just mired in this one place that you can never leave, or you leave the thing you're great at and do something almost like completely different. Even if you're coaching, it's, it's different than, than, than teaching. So because we talk a lot about leadership and organization, can you tell us about the person or a person in your life who is a mentor or professional role model who opened that door for you, who brought you on board or, or raised you up into a spot where you, where 
you became in leadership or they've started getting you to think that you're ready to be in leadership. Yeah. Um, I mean, I have one mentor that I've, I've had for, uh, at this point, you know, the majority of my professional career. Uh, it's Mary Laurie. She's one of my, is my principal at Oak Ridge Walker High School in New Orleans. And she brought me on as a special education teacher and within a year uh, asked me to work with her as an assistant principal and, and did that for um, for seven years with her. And she was actually previously my wife's principal at her elementary school before Hurricane Katrina. And so didn't know her but knew of her, knew what she was about, knew she cared about kids, knew she was willing to put in the time that she asked others to put in on behalf of families and uh, was always impressed by that. And sort of my mindset was, you know, if you have someone who you know truly cares about those things, like the rest of it, it's to some degree, are like details and just, you know, working styles, and we can kind of figure that stuff out. Um, so that's, that's kind of what I gravitated towards. But she's always been my, she's been my, uh, my conscience, yeah, for me. That's awesome. That's a, a person that I feel like we all have in our life that you cannot possibly ever repay for what they've done for you and show the gratitude the way that you wish you could. Um, so thank you for sharing. All right, everyone. Once again, this is Jeff Gorski from Leaders Building Leaders. Thank you for listening to our podcast, our sixth, seventh podcast, our seventh podcast episode. Um, and uh, we are excited to bring you more content uh, in the new year. So uh, if you would like to reach out or, or seeking any additional information about this or any of our other podcasts or our services at Leaders Building Leaders, please email me at Jeff, that's G-E-O-F-F, at leaders-building-leaders.com. Happy New Year.